You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to Creative Quarantine. I'm your host, Angelique Roche. And today I sat down with creative producer and just longtime theater professional. And I would say civic community activist who focuses on the nature, importance, and creating the space for artistic and creative gatherings, Brian Joseph Lee. Brian and I had a really incredible chat about just the impact of what's happening right now in New York on the theater community, as well as what does it mean to think about the long-term impacts on arts and gatherings and the importance that gathering and being in community is for many, many artists and the work that he does at the public theater particularly focused on civic engagement, on bringing folks together to inspire, but also on what does it mean for culture to belong to everyone. It was an incredible conversation, uh, particularly as we go into week three of self-isolation and social distancing, and as New York is bracing for one of the hardest weeks in New York history as it comes to this pandemic. Uh, so uh, I am really excited about this conversation because it was just, it was really food for the soul. But also, uh, Brian did leave us with several book recommendations and a couple of artistic recommendations to spur a little inspiration. You're listening to Creative Quarantine. I'm your host, Angelique Roche. I hope you enjoy. Happy Wednesday and welcome to, uh, what is it, April? Is it Wednesday? Is it April 8th? 2020 i think it is um when's the thursday monday uh and i'm here with uh, just one i keep saying one of my favorite people but i feel like there is another level to this conversation for how long we have known each other um amazing producer amazing theater professional uh just brilliant mind brian joseph lee hi brian hi how are you i'm great um i try my best huh I'm so happy to be here, by the way. I'm so happy to have you here um, because you come with a very unique perspective. And I, I think for the folks who are watching, I I have tried my best for years to concisely say what you do for a living, but you have so many branches of even like what you do now versus your your path in theater, um, your path through marketing and, and community outreach. So for those who are watching, give give folks kind of like a brief, as as brief as you can, what do you do? Yeah, that's a big, it's a big question. Um, <clears throat> you know, I 
like to tell people that at the end of the day, I'm a storyteller. Uh, storytelling has really sort of been the through line for everything I've done in my career. It's how I fell in love with theater. I mean, my first play, I got into theater pretty late as a, as a kid, as a senior in high school, because one of my best friends was going to an audition and um, I told her that I would wait at the theater building, which to that point, my senior year, I'd never even walked in, right? Uh, but I told her I would wait. And then lo and behold, as I was sitting in the place where everyone was auditioning, uh, you know, they said, does anybody else want to audition? And I ended up going up for the play and I got cast, which was serendipity, right? It was a way, wow. of, you know, you have a little bit of a calling in a moment. And I said, why not? You know, let's try something new. Um, but what was so fun about that was, you know, theater is a place for me where I learned accountability. It's where I learned discipline. It's where I learned how to be responsible and reliable, uh, how to depend on other people, how to create collectively, how to build community and just as easily sort of let that community go, knowing that it will emerge and, and, and sustain itself in new ways. Right. So yeah. that's sort of been a beautiful, like ebb and flow of my career. Uh, as it began, but you know, when we met uh, over a decade ago <laughs> in Washington, D.C., ah. uh, I know, I know, and we were, you know, sort of multi hyphenates in our own career. I, I, I feel like I've done it all. I've worked in uh, museums, uh, symphony orchestras, theater companies, festivals, music venues, art galleries. Um, I popped up performance for jazz artists. I, yeah. you know, um, I've done a lot of like party and event curation for uh, restaurants and and um, really found a way to sort of get culture on all of its forms, you know, directly to the audiences that are most excited about it. And so really like for me, you know, being able to tell that story, being able to say why I'm excited about something, why I fall in love with this book or this food or this cocktail or this play or this artist or this writer um, has really been at the heart of, of my journey is just sharing what I love. I love it. And so now a couple of years ago, what is it? I, I don't want to say how many years, but a couple of years ago, um, even though we met in DC, uh, we, we now both are residents of New York and uh, your role kind of changed a little bit uh, with a little bit of a different focus. And what I love is like, you took this different, this, this new step uh, into another hybrid situation and so for folks who are because I want to kind of get this to, to kind of set the perspective of asking the next question which is the adjustment question yeah. um, how does your role sit right now um, as you as you are at the public theater yeah so um, in 2016 uh, after living in Washington DC during the uh, presidential election I felt a real like passion. Uh, a desire to make sure that my work as a storyteller was going, um, contributing to the kind of change that I wanted to see in the yeah. world and in my own community. And you know this about living in DC, we never voted for a governor or like had our, you know, representation in Congress. There's just so many ways in which I felt like um, I wasn't fully maximizing my own civic duty. And so I was looking for an opportunity to um, to dive more into that world, to really work with artists, activists, and organizers who were um, striving to make change yeah. um, at the hyper-local level, but also at the national and international level, right? And the opportunity uh, that came my way that I was most excited by was uh, to join 
the public theater as a creative producer. So um, it's been a fantastic ride. The public theater is the preeminent uh, theater company uh, in New York and quite honestly the world um, with a real commitment to uh, radical inclusivity, you know, values of democracy, of citizenship, of, of uh, collective action. Um, and whether it's, you know, the work that happens in six stages in the Lower East Side, or whether it's, you know, in uh, the Delacorte Theater in Central Park, with the Shakespeare in the Park, uh, all around all five boroughs in New York City and around the country, and now, you know, the world with national partners, uh, the public theater is always showing up, uh, you know, as an advocate of free speech, as an advocate of uh, making sure the community has access to the greatest works of our time and that uh, art at the end of the day and culture at the end of the day belongs to everyone. So that is like the the animating heartbeat of that company, which I love. Which I think is really amazing because that means right now, not just for the public theater, but for you and your work, you sit at this very interesting precipice in this moment, right? Because this idea and and you you put up this 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 really amazing post and I'm never going to quote it the right way but there was something about it um, which was almost immediately when I asked you to be part of the series is you talk about you know this moment where there were so many producers and playwrights uh, either in the middle of a show or about to launch a show I'd gotten right at that perfect moment where they had done that perfect tech audition when they knew they had they'd broken through or and after he was getting ready for an audition the next day or, or whatever it was um, is one part of it, but because of the unique mission of culture being accessible to everyone, but also this idea of civic engagement and accountability, you were working on a couple of things to even get the community involved um, in looking at the census and other things that were happening that were important to the people of New York. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I am the lucky leader of a program called Public Forum, which is the, uh, the space where we're inspired by the work on our stages in the world at large to have deep conversations about the world around us. So you can think of it as like, there's the art on our stages that happens, and then there's everything else from the community programs and the artistic programs that we have to, you know, those moments where it's, uh, where we have the opportunity to bubble up. Uh, you know, really interesting dialogues between people. Yeah. And that can look like a lot of different ways. It can be as small as two people having a chat after a show, in a post-show conversation or a speaker series where we have someone who's a scholar or um, an expert, you know, really give a deeper lens into the work. Or um, it can be as, uh, as robust, as broad as 2,000 people in Central Park having a celebration like we did last year. Uh, for Stonewall 50 and Pride Month, and literally everything in between, right? But what connects all of the work that I do in public forum is this idea that conversation, connection, and community is so central to what we do. And actually, you know, in many ways, that's the sort of catalyzing factor that every artist, every playwright that we engage, um, their work speaks for themselves, absolutely, they're at the top of their game, and also, like, they are dialoguing with the world at large and they leave us with questions that we just feel uh, this, um, this fire to unpack. And so a lot of the work that I do centers around those kinds of conversations. Um, like you mentioned, yeah, uh, we, as well as a lot of other uh, theater artists were 
in the swing of things in the spring, right? And I yeah. think what's wild is that this is April 8th, a month ago, we were um, <laughs> in a completely different world. We were, we were prepping to, you know, um, to put up shows. Some shows are already in performance. Uh, for me and my group, we had just launched uh, our spring slate of artistic programs. Okay. Um, and one of those, our Civic Salon series, is really fantastic because it essentially functions like, um, think of a church, but you take out the religion and you put in a bit of art in, the, in civic responsibility. And so we had this model where we were a galvanizing community in New York to, uh, to talk about what it means to be counted in the 2020 census. Um, the census itself is, you know, for everybody who knows right now, um, the uh, uh, every decade we count every person that's living in America. And uh, that complete count helps allocate resources on the local, national, uh, and statewide level. And so whether that's access to um, education, healthcare, infrastructure, um, transportation, um, representation in Congress, there's so many ways in which uh, the census is a really important, critical tool to our civic uh, machinery. But yet, there's also so many questions, especially in light of, you know, current politics, about what it means to, say, trust the government and give your information voluntarily. What it means if you are, say, an undocumented person living in America and whether you feel safe in order to participate, whether you are... Um, uh, you know, trustful of your information being protected. Of course, it, it is protected by uh, the Constitution. The information is off on the side and can't be accessed, but right. a lot of people aren't sure, you know. And even the current administration uh, spent a lot of time trying to get a citizenship question on the census this year. They failed, but the fear was that a lot of that damage was done in terms of um, raising a, uh, a sense of anxiety and fear around what it means to engage in this, uh, in this moment in our democracy. Um, and it was curious for us, you know, just as a little tangent, we started this whole process about our artistic programs by talking to communities and by asking some folks, you know, uh, especially NGOs and folks who are working in community development in New York City, um, you know, what's at the root of this apathy and this fear around people wanting to be counted in the census and what would be a potential antidote? And they really said that the antidote to apathy and fear was storytelling. Again, this idea that once you hear your neighbor talk about why it matters, and once you hear someone that you know and trust talk about this, um, this census idea, um, you're more likely to participate. You're more likely to be calmed. You're more likely to assess mm. sort of like, you know, uh, your own negotiation and it's, and it's great, you know, because it's a way that you're not just sort of like proselytizing or giving information to people, but uh, we really uh, seek to make that as active as possible so that folks can really um, hear from their neighbors and, and, and band together to talk about their vision for what they want their community to do. And I think it's really interesting because, you know, that's, you know, even past this understanding of knowing someone, right? It's just, it's just, it is really just truly so rooted in community. What has been the adjustment? Because obviously I, I know you have not stopped working. Uh, so clearly there has been an adjustment. And, and, you know, for you, how have you been able to kind of creatively try to successfully or not figure out a way to still push that mission forward? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a beautiful question, Angelique, and I think that's the, the million-dollar question right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I personally have more questions than answers. I think we're three weeks into this thing, uh, and it's and it's a brave new world. Um, I'll name that, you know, the uh, I'm very privileged and very grateful and very humbled and very privileged to um, work at a company that is really trying to pivot. Uh, we have the the security and the resources that we haven't had to make any layoffs right now, which is beautiful. You know, all of those decision-making practices are way above my pay grade, but I'm happy that the, the team itself is moving yeah. forward to wrestle with these questions in new ways. And we know that's not the case for a lot of um, artists and, uh, and theater companies and organizers. Obviously, Broadway is closed. They just announced today they're closing through June. Uh, so all of those hardworking artists and teams are uh, are on pause, which is tough, but also that's there's every small theater company, every you know black box uh, uh, play that was being produced around the country, you know, because at the end of the day, we're all in the business of gathering. We're yeah. storytellers. We're in the business of bringing people together to experience the story in real time. And this um, pandemic has been a real disruption for all of us. And so, you know, I think that. Uh, I just had to name that, like, while I'm fortunate and privileged to um, continue to work, at least in this professional capacity, you know, that's not a value-based judgment. There are many, many colleagues and friends who have uh, so much great work that we hope to see soon. Um, But yeah, the spiritual questions around what it means to gather has really been where my mind has sort of like focused in the last couple of weeks. Who are we if we can't bring people into a room and to share this space, you know? Like obviously there's um, there's been a push for theater companies and creators to uh, find a digital way to express their storytelling efforts. Mm-hmm. And I think there's been like a, a rush for that, which has been, um, which has been interesting. It's been like, obviously, there are a lot of experiments, there are a lot of stop and starts. There are ways yeah. in which it feels entirely creative and that I totally understand, ways in which it feels like everyone's flooding the space at once. Uh, and so it can be a little challenging. I err on the side of, you know, there is no right or wrong way to enter into this pandemic when it comes to being an artist. And so I'm, I'm excited for people to experiment in the digital space, right? Um, but I do think that, uh, one of the learnings that I hope we 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 start to meditate on is um, how it means to gather, what it means to gather thoughtfully, what it means to actually take the intention and the um, uh, the direct relationship building that was a hallmark of all of our work before this moment, and to not lose that, and to not lose that spirit of connection, that spirit of relationship. Because at the end of the day, you know, that's what I'm more interested in right now. That's what I want to what I find my soul needing is not, you know, necessarily another place for another place. Say, I have a ton of plays behind me. There's a lot of plays. Uh, but I'm not necessarily missing the theater for the theater at all. I'm missing the theater because I miss being in community with people. I miss sharing spirit. I miss being connected by the same amazing thing that we're watching and seeing and that we can talk about it afterwards. So really, you know, I'm curious to see how we, you know, as this situation rolls on, how we as storytellers and we as theater makers, um, you know, reimagine and redefine what we mean to our communities and what we mean to our world. 
And I think it's really interesting because I, this is literally, this is conversation number 13 uh, for creative quarantine. And it's just interesting for me because everyone is, and I love this because everyone should have permission to do this. So I want to say that caveat before I, I say the next thing, everyone is giving themselves permission to work at their own pace, or at least they're trying. Right. A lot of us, a lot of us don't know how it is. It is a metaphysical readjustment of how we literally how we absorb and put out energy right it is yeah. especially as new yorkers uh, so many of us and and i i don't want to say that we were on cruise control because it's a very different thing but it's like our our foot is always to the gas mm -hmm. like we hit the brakes every once in a while when we force ourselves to go on vacation but even vacation is kind of a a check on the list right when vacation when was the last vacation you had i don't remember it's fine <laughs> I don't know. Good point. Um, but but I, I say all that to say there is there are so many different ideas of thought. Like there's so many different thought streams out there mm -hmm. on what you should be doing, and everyone's working at their own pace. And you have these folks that you know that immediately just knew, right? Because and I think that's right because everybody's a different plays a different role on the team. Some people are quarterbacks. Some people are wide receivers. Some. Some people are just coaches, right? Like, and what have you seen though, a kind of in trending just at this moment at where we're at? Because I think we also need to acknowledge that the city is hurting and yeah. that artists are impasse. And this is also an extra hard time because the people who are in the business of connecting with people sometimes are so connected that it can be overwhelming. In that vein, like what have you seen um, if any are the trends of artists who are trying to connect, who are trying to collaborate, who are um, trying to fill that void of what is this community, particularly yeah. for those who are self-isolated yeah. alone, um, because not everyone has a roommate. Not everyone, you know, not everyone likes their roommate. Let's be real. <laughs> I mean, like you're, uh, what, a, what a beautiful, question and I might you know again there's part of that that I feel like I can't answer and part yeah. of that where I have the same questions right uh, I think that like one of the things that's super curious to me is this idea of hustle culture this idea that we all have to show and prove and that could be showing and proving because we don't want to lose our jobs showing and proving because we don't want to seem as if we're not being productive you know in this yeah. time and, and, and there was a rush for people to think of like, how can you turn this quarantine into a sabbatical or to a real sort of like, you know, uh, a moment, a launch pad for us. And it's like, right. and you're like, yeah. And also, right, this is actually, you know, in, in New York, it's hard. It is so hard. Um, I think the thing that can, you can't really understate is that like the city's hurting, people are hurting, people are dying. Um, I think the moment that took it, you know, to a real place for me where I shed real tears and still do is uh, seeing the um, the socioeconomic and racial disparities among who's getting hardest hit by COVID, uh, especially, you know, in here in New York, you have places like uh, the Bronx and Brooklyn, black and brown communities that are um, already you know, uh, dealing with so many comorbidities, so many institutional barriers, so many intersections uh, of, of life and um, are at the front lines, are the hardest hit. 
and will continue to be. And so, you know, that is pain that it, that I hear every time in New York, there's a siren, which is the other thing, you know, if you're not in New York City right now, you probably may or may not know, but the sirens are deafening. They are, um, they are, they are what wakes us up in the morning and they're what we hear at night. I, and I have to be honest, like every morning I wake up to the sound of a, of a, ambulance on the streets. And so, uh, yeah, to your point, this is a really tough moment. And I don't think that there's any rule that says that we have to perform productivity or we have to perform creation during this time. If anything, I'm saying that we all are exactly where we should be, wherever we are, at, at, you know, at whatever place, at whatever time, at whatever moment, uh, where what we feel is valid, right? And for some of us, that looks like carrying the torch. For some of us, that looks like experimenting and asking the questions. And, and it might even be like doing, producing to feel or doing and producing the process. That's okay. And also, there are a lot of people who are like, I have a major disruption to my health, my family. Some of us are caregivers. Some of us uh, have a lot of financial uncertainty right now. And it's okay to say pause to that too. Um, because the creative community is a community. And I think the beauty about how we operate is that um, it's this, this idea of like a sustained choral note. Like if you have a chorus of a hundred people, you can sustain a note infinitely because uh, at whatever moment someone can drop in, drop out, take a breath, pause, come back in and the rest of the chorus will have been there to sustain the note. So I think, I think about that a lot when I think about um, what it means for creatives uh, to, uh, to continue during this time. And I think it's also very interesting. And I think something that we haven't talked about yet. And I think something that to your point, um, and this made me think about it, you know, we met working in a restaurant. We yeah. were, we were, we were servers at the same restaurant we over a decade ago. Um, because our full-time jobs, the things that we were trying to do, the things that we love did not sustain us. And that was in DC. And so the other thing I think a lot of folks aren't acknowledging right now is that with those comorbidity morbidities, with the racial and gender injustices that are happening, we do have to acknowledge the fact that there are a number of people and, and disproportionately black and brown who are still essential employees right now, yeah. who are still getting on subways from the Bronx and from Brooklyn, who are still going to work every single day. Um, as well as acknowledging um, the healthcare workers who aren't doctors, the people who are cleaning the hospitals, the RNs, the nurses, those people, I think there's another perspective in New York. A lot of those people are also part of the creative community. Mm. Um, a lot of those people have two different jobs and they're trained in one thing to keep the lights on. And at night they're doing table reads. Yeah. This is such a broad and expansive um, idea in New York, this idea of creativity and the importance of being able to have that outlet, whether it is your full-time, you're soon to be full-time, you hope to be full-time, or just the thing that you do to process through. Uh, my sister and I were having an interesting conversation about, this is a tangent, but it is, it is, it is an example, Still Magnolias. So Still Magnolias uh, is, is a stage play. It's not just a wonderful movie with a armadillo uh, for a cake. And it was written by the little brother of the main character. And it was written by the little brother of the main character so that 
he could process being angry at his nephew for that being the reason that he lost his sister. And he went through and he wrote this in a way for him to process that it was about his sister's choices, not the fault of his nephew. And I use this as a really interesting example because you never know who is utilizing art and creativity and storytelling to process. They could be anywhere. Lynn Whitfield's dad was a dentist, but he was also a playwright. Like, let's have a conversation. And so I think there is this other conversation in this idea of privilege about the importance of art and the sustainability of art and the fact that you know, you're right. Some people are pushing forward because they have the ability to, and that's how they process. And that's what they've got to do. And some people are pushing back to allow themselves to be overwhelmed. So they can at some point do the thing they love to do. And I think there is no right way. Of yeah. either. What you're, what you're saying to me sort of brings up this idea of essential versus non-essential. It's sort of like, binary that I've heard a lot of in the last couple of days um, mm-hmm. that has been really challenging for me to wrap my head around right? because I think of um, to your point the folks that we deem essential to the running of our communities and our country include the undocumented field workers who are making sure that our produce is uh, hitting the supply chain it includes those folks who, you know, two months ago were still rallying, are, are rallying to this day to have adequate health care or, um, you know, a livable minimum wage or to be protected under the um, auspices of a union. These are folks who have had to lobby for basic labor protections who are now on the front lines. And, you know, yes, like, so I live in Washington Heights uh, in New York City. We're five blocks away from one of the major hospitals uh, up here and in my building on my floor, uh, we have a nurse and we have two members of the hospital uh, custodial staff uh, that I know of on my floor, for example. So I know that like my community actually lives and breathes very direct response to what's happening right now. I also know that countless others are the folks who work at the grocery stores or the folks who, you know, are part of these uh, frontline efforts to make sure that we um, can survive. And so, you know, I think that it's so interesting to think of what's essential, what's not essential, because actually the folks who have been sort of uh, most um, removed from protections in our society, folks who have been given um, less systemic privilege are now the key to a functioning society. And let me actually, I'll take that and raise it one further. Then you have the other side of this, which is the artists, which is like the total mind fuck. Sorry if I will, but like the real challenge, I think, is in a time of a humanitarian crisis, there are many ways to sort of process what we do as creatives and whether or not it actually matters, right? I wrestle with that all the time. Like, is what I do in the civic space, does it actually matter or should I go and volunteer for a campaign, for example? Should I have done time on the uh, and I wrestle with that as, a, as, as any artist and producer does. Like, what is the real value of our art? Does our art matter? Um, it's a hard thought question. I come on different sides of it depending on the day. Right now, you know, I think that there is no wrong way to answer that question. But I have to think that our job as, an, uh, as a creative field 
is to carry the torch of inspiration, is to help people process. So whether that is, you know, uh, through their trauma and their grief and their pain in real time, or whether it's being on the front lines of imagination so we have something to look forward to, something to build from after, because there will be an after, because the planet will exist. And so, you know, I think about uh, that being the role of the artist. And is that an essential function? Well, I should stay my ass at home right now and like actually <laughs> social distance and self-quarantine, but also it gives me the opportunity and the privilege and the breath to, um, uh, to, 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 to take care of myself and to take care of my own community and to lend my, uh, my flame of inspiration to whoever can corroborate it to whoever can also be lit by that flame. And who knows, maybe we will, on the other side of this, create something that uh, that can guide us through. So for you, what does, because I, I think we, we first had a conversation about the show the week everything happened, because uh, you know me, uh, mm -hmm. I get an idea, and mm -hmm. God knows you can't get in my way. Um, and now it's week three. And I think I've seen this interesting progression, not just you particular, but just like in our conversations as it started off with our first conversation with Anthony Rapp and now here on this conversation mm -hmm. um, Wednesday, weeks later, that people have settled into a very <laughs> different vibe. It's a very, it, it you know, at first it's like, it's a brave new world. We're here. We're going to do this. And now there's this different idea of self-care and grounding that I'm seeing coming from folks because this is not a sprint. This is very much a marathon. Uh, for you, what does the concepts right now of self-care, which I think are very different than they were for both of us before this started, and grounding mean in this moment? Uh, you know, I'm still figuring that out. And I think, you know, there's such a... How do I how do I say this? Because if I were to reflect on myself, I would think that I'm a person who like has grand plans in my handy dandy notebook, I journal all the time, <laughs> and I try to make sure that like I'm taking my own pulse and I'm nothing if not self aware. Um, but the kind of shifts that I want to see, I think, are are slow and happen you know incrementally. Yeah. Uh, some things I'm really curious about is is really getting off of this. Um, workaholic uh, uh, sprint, you know, like I think the first couple of weeks, I definitely had trouble separating work time from home time because it all happens in this one space, right? Uh, I live with my partner. Uh, he is a, a writer and a creative as well, uh, but he um, was one of a number of people who's, you know, current projects, outlooks, financial forecasts, all shifted in a very short amount of time, right? Whereas I was sort of like leaning in my producer style energy in the job that I still have in order to, you know, be as productive as I can from home. Yeah. So I see that there are different wavelengths that can happen, right? Uh, I'm not a person right now that I think has an ample amount of free time. Sometimes I'm like, I feel like my brain is just in Zoom <laughs> in all these meetings, you know, or like, some of us are working uh, and, and Skyping and having okay. conversations than, than we ever did. And I think that, yeah. uh, and that's another value judgment. I think it just is where our energy is called in this time. Uh, and so I'm really curious about what it means to fight for balance, which is mm -hmm. always the thing I'm struggling for, always the thing I want that I never get. 
I'm, I'm, I'm constantly tweaking. Uh, so, you know, I have rediscovered the value of a nap. Boy, oh boy. Naps are great. One. <laughs> Two. This is so interesting. Like you talking about Zoom. Mm-hmm. Because I remember at, at a point where it was after a campaign and I worked for a completely virtual organization. Like there are some people who've been living this life. Yep. I, I got out of that life to be very clear because it was, I, I love the organization, but there really was no balance because there's so many variables of the West coast versus the East coast versus the Midwest. But when you cut it off, when do you stop zooming? Do you have a life outside of zoom and this guilt of not working? Yeah. Um, and so I think it's, I think that's a very interesting thing. And I'm glad that you're taking naps because your brain is constantly working. Cause that's another thing that people aren't, thinking about is that when you are looking at the picture of someone, it is a different processing that your brain is doing because you're looking at a screen and there's things blinking and there's other stuff that you're focusing on. It's okay to be not, to be tired and to take a nap. It, it can be. And, you know, I don't want to misrepresent myself. I have gotten out of bed. Uh, I do definitely like try and take showers. I have dressed. These are all great moments. Like let's, let's. You look very nice right now. Thank you. It took me a while to choose this sweater, uh, but there we go. Some things don't change, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) But I do think that um, there is, you know, a beauty and simplicity and it's slowing down. Um, The other other side of this question, which I would be remiss if I didn't sort of say, is that, you know, part of this idea of power processing in week three Mm. is the human psychology of it all, which is, um, I think a lot of us were planning for the worst, but hoping for the best. And so there are messages about, you know, two weeks, four weeks. And then, oh, this will last six weeks, eight weeks. You know, if somebody were to tell us in March that we wouldn't have Broadway until June, I think that people would have had a very starkly different reaction just in terms of like, what do you mean? I can't leave the house. What do you mean? Uh, And so like, I know that like the uh, complexities of social isolation and quarantine are such that like, we kind of have to take it day by day. We kind of have to break it down into digestible chunks and then see where it goes because we don't know if it's going to be worse than our imaginations or if there will be a silver lining. And even, you know, after that silver lining, what happens after? So uh, all that's part of it, you know, but I do think that like I'm taking it day by day. I want to see myself like actually um, make time for my reading list, which I have right here, never too far. That sounds, how how thick is that reading list, sir? That that sounds um, formidable. Do you want to see? It's, uh, I actually was, so here's here's what's really funny about this conversation is I was like, I hope I get to talk to her about books. I yes. Like, <laughs> I, I hope a question comes up like, what are you reading right now? Because then I just like have... <laughs> Can I can I can I show you? Yes, I, I want it. People people are looking for book recs. Give uh, us. So here are three books that I think I'm really excited by. Uh, I'm in different amount of like you know different stages of reading with each of these. Okay. But I will say that like my boyfriend knows this. I am a give me a chapter and a half and I'll put it down for a while and I'll finish the rest of it. So yeah. um, first book that I love. The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters. Uh, Fantastic, fantastic writer named Priya Parker, um, who 
is one of the foremost, uh, uh, you know, scholars and intellectuals thinking about why we gather and why it matters. You know, one of the real interesting things about this disruption is that um, it exposed some weaknesses that we knew were there. Like, we don't actually gather very well. Like, how many meetings should have been an email? How many, exactly, how many um, gatherings or, you know, birthday parties or outings were just superfluous in the practice and, you know, the ritual of getting people together, but didn't really have a purpose. And yeah. so you know, this book has been uh, part of my life for quite some time because I've been trying to re-imagine uh, and understand what an effective gathering is and the purpose that it serves for the community that I want to curate. And there's some very practical lessons in here, like how to curate the perfect gathering and how to develop a purpose, uh, the art of generous exclusion. So like not inviting people who don't need to come, but making sure that the people who need to be there are there. Um, there are a lot of concepts that I think are really valuable, but even when we think about this COVID universe now, um, again, I think our need for gathering and our need for assembly as human beings maintains. And so I'm very curious about what it looks like to gather creatively in the brave new world, in this new digital space. Yeah. Um, when I talk about theaters and like, uh, when I talk to theaters about like what it means to, uh, uh, when I talk about how theaters can really um, use this time to think about who we are for not gathering, um, I go back to this book. I think a lot about like what it means for us if we can't physically get together to think about new purposes for our community. And maybe a theater company isn't just a place where you go see a play, but maybe a theater company is where you go to connect with your neighbor. And if so, what does that mean? And how do we program around that? How do we actually build around that? So this is one that I love, love, love. Uh, next one, which I am totally a fan of. I don't know if you wrote this book. Do you know Adrienne Marie Brown? Do you not? Do you know her? I do not know her personally, but I do know this book, and I've had several conversations uh, with several different people within nonprofit. Uh, philanthropic and just normal creatives who who specifically mm -hmm. work with partnerships, mm -hmm. relationship building, community building, mm -hmm. and what does it mean to find pleasure within activism and being being okay with that? They they have mentioned that this would be a book that I should read. I, I like just looking at you and holding this in my hand. I wish I could like hand it through the screen. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next one. Teleportation. We need we need one of those um, Star Trek. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get right on it. I'm no, get right on it. <laughs> so Adrian Marie Brown is a um, is a champion. She's a godsend, a uh, organizer and community worker uh, from Detroit, whose first book called Emergent Strategy was really just yeah. this beautiful um, uh, framework for how we can be inspired by nature in the outside world to influence the way that we uh, build community and organize as people. So things like looking at, you know, the way that mushrooms grow as an inspiration for decentralized leadership, which is totally, um, I read that while I was watching Star Trek Discovery and the mycelium networks are totally a part of her concept, which is like, Nerds, sorry. Nerd. But you think about this decentralized shadow network that sends information that you can move through the speed of light. There is no entry point or exit point. There is just one sort of network 
that knows everything because information travels continuously. It's that kind of, um, you know, anecdote that is really important if you think about, you know, the models of community organizing. So anyway, I suggest you read the first book, Emergent Strategy, but her second book is Pleasure Activism, which is all about, um, you know, there's this quote from Tony K. Bambara uh, that says, you know, her job is to make the revolution irresistible. And I think that that is such a beautiful way to think about our role as storytellers, that I got to make it so that the revolution is so sexy. So you don't want to be anywhere else. You don't want to, you don't want to know anything else. You actually are so galvanized by and fighting for that vision of the future. You can't help it, right? That's the beauty of the storyteller. This is all about how um, the physical plant of our bodies is the site by which so much of our progressive activism can take place. And by taking care of our bodies, we're actually taking care of our communities. So there, um, you know, this, I have to say, is probably going to be something I spend a lot of solo time with over this quarantine to really get at the heart of what it feels like. But um, ways to really understand your personal liberation as a means of political resistance. So totally love that. Um, last one, which I know you're going to love. Have I shared this with you? I have the audio book. So good. He's so good. He's so good. So like Questlove, if you're watching, hi. Hi. First oh. of all, if Questlove is watching, can we just, one, get you on the show? Two, I'm a huge fan. Walk down the hallway all the time. See your great, lovely, amazing uh, dressing room. But yeah, I, I don't think people understand how profound that very quiet very talented human being is. Yeah. Uh, Quest is, first of all, he's doing amazing work. When you talk about artists who are like pivoting and gathering in this way, you can't do that without talking about D-Nice, yep. Love, and other DJs who are like taking to Instagram and actually doing models of inspiration. But like when Bill Withers passed a couple of days ago, Questlove did this really fantastic live stream where he put all this Bill Withers stuff together. It's just like spinning it and telling stories. And like Questlove is a storyteller. Questlove is a storyteller. He has like a number of books, which like his autobiography is really fantastic. It's told through the lens of the records that he collected with his father as a kid. Um, so like there's as many liner notes as there would be in like, you know, 15 crates of LPs. It's just ridiculous. Um, this, he also has this other book, which I, which I love. It's over here somewhere. Um, but it's about, um, it's called Something to Food About. And it's about Quest Loves, Loves, as a foodie. He is he is a great musician. He's an even, be even better food critic. He loves, loves, loves chefs. And, and part of why he loves food is because it's another method of creation that has so much. The method of creating and improvising in, in food parallels. Yeah, the method of creating and improvising in music. And so he actually has this book where he interviewed 10 uh, fantastic chefs from around the world uh, and talked to them about their process of creativity and sort of like drew the lines in, in an interview format. So like this is the distillation of all that. When you talk about like what it means to be creative, especially learning from one of the most creative guys in the business, this is the thing. He's fantastic. Questlove, if you're watching this. Um, Just saying. Saying, listen, I'm at the public theater. You used to work with us like a decade ago before I got there, and I would love to see you again. So, yes, fantastic. But it's so funny as I had my reading list here, I was like, I'm Well done. 
pitch all those things to you. Well done. I see what I'm tagging in your post for people to make sure we watch this show. Um, um, so if anyone has any questions right before we close, you can comment in the stream. You can comment on Facebook. Uh, you literally can just put it in the comments or put it in the chat box. Happy to ask any questions to uh, Mr. Brian Joseph Lee before we, we close up our conversation today. But this has been incredible. Thank you. I just always love spending time with you. And I really, I really want to say thank you so much for having the impulse and the follow through to really bring this platform you know, to fruition. I think it's really wonderful. Um, can I ask you a question? You would be the first. Oh, I'm here. Wait, I'm going to cross my legs in the other direction. Hold on. Yeah. Be the first person to ask you a question? You, you can't I, I really honestly think that you're the first, like not just like an off the hand, but like actually ask me a question. Yes, I'm, I'm here for it. Come on. I, I, I hate to turn the tables, but you know this is what I do. Um, and I'm super <laughs> curious if there's been... Um, a bright spot in the last uh, three weeks. You've talked to so many amazing people and I'm very flattered to have been um, one in the number. I think that like answering the call is the least that I could do. But you know, you've got the virtue to talk to, the privilege to talk to all of us. Yes. So I'm curious if there's one sort of like uh, thread or through line that people are meditating on, a recurring theme or something that just pops out to you when you think about all the amazing people that you've talked with. I mean, one, I have to give a shout out, um, and I really do have to say that everyone that I've booked for the show, and, and man, we we are booked all the way until mid-May, right? Like we are, we, because I was very clear, like if we're going to do creative quarantine, that we're being very clear that this is a marathon, and I'm not assuming any of us are going anywhere till June. Um, and so, you know, with this idea, this crazy idea to basically book out for two and a half months, uh, I reached out to everyone personally and everyone personally, I, I literally had only one person say, I'm just exhausted. I can't like, and, and it wasn't a no, it was, I'm talked out. I really would love to, but I'm going to watch and I'm going to share. It's just, I, I don't have the energy um, because everyone understood the key concept of the readjustment and the conversation um, I think the through line though, which I think has been very interesting and it, and it comes in different, it's totally different for everyone is permission. Mm -hmm. Um, it's this journey to permission to allow yourself and whether it has been permission to grieve, it's been permission to slow down. It's been, you know, giving yourself permission not to be perfect, not to have all the answers, um, giving your permission, giving yourself permission to sit down and take a nap, like every, giving yourself, Stacey London, giving yourself permission to wear a pair of sweatpants today. Like it, it has been very, or no pants. Or no pants. Sometimes <laughs> no pants is where it's at. I'm just saying. Um, it really has been so beautiful to see folks who say to me before the interview, I don't think I have all the answers. I don't know if I can say anything profound and for me to go, okay, you don't have to. That's the mm -hmm. point of the conversation. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, hearing this journey, both externally and internally of artists saying, I am giving myself, because sometimes I don't know if any of them have actually said it out loud. Some of them ha like clearly have, but it may have been the first time the artist has said it out loud. 
I'm giving myself permission to be scared or to not know how to homeschool my kid or to to have to take a sit down because there's nowhere to go. You know, when you talk about some folks in Broadway are used to doing eight shows a week and only having one day off, you have to give yourself permission to sit back from this drive that is the thing that makes you, right? It is the thing that makes you successful. It is the thing that makes you love the thing. It is it's what keeps you going is this drive, is this love of creating and being in in being in community or getting the applause or making someone happy or bringing joy and understanding mm-hmm. it's not going to look the way you want it to look because we all support self-isolation, social distancing, and we're all trying to slow this thing down to save lives. Yeah. And that is that is really, for, for me, that's been, whatever way it's been um, articulated um, and whatever method someone is doing it, or even permission just to, I love, so, so Sierra Renee, I love it to death. She's like, I'm gonna mess up. Some of my stuff is gonna look weird. I'm not gonna know how to do everything. I don't think I'm gonna take it down because that's me. It's who I am. And that's, that, that's beautiful. I love it. I mean, that idea of permission is so strong. And like, we have to be okay with not being perfect and with not knowing the answers. But actually, like, that shouldn't be a reason for us to stop creating and to stop exploring. And, you know, even with all this uncertainty and this grief and this trauma that's right there, like, I, I, I remember when this started, and it's just sort of, um, it's the North Star that I keep myself um, honest to right now, is uh, this question of um, how can I take steps now? What, what steps can I take now that I'll be proud of in two months? Or what can I do now that I'll be proud of in six months? What can I do now that I'll be proud of in two years, right? And this idea that like I'm actually responsible to and beholden to um, a, a future me and a future self um, helps me sort of like gain the, 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 the wisdom to move beyond just this one moment. Yeah. That is yeah. the perfect way. Also, uh, I want to do, before I ask you all your social handles so people can follow you, I want to shout out to both of our mothers who are both watching right now. Um, <laughs> I do think the other part of the show that's been a common thread is mommies tuning in. Uh, and parents getting post streams. And I got to just shout out to the parents who are sitting at home and not going anywhere if they can, but also for watching the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom and my dad, first hey, of all, love, love you. And <laughs> love uh, anything that involves my face. And so if it's on social media, they will share it. And she just added little kissy emojis. So there you go. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Before we start, before we just fold into parents talk and how much we love them, uh, can you let folks at home know where they can find you on the interwebs? Yeah. I think the best would be uh, Instagram and Twitter at Brian Joseph Lee, my full handle. Um, and then I also just suggest, uh, you know, this isn't about me. And so there are a lot of great uh, folks that are doing amazing storytelling work. A couple people that I will shout out 
uh, a combination of great theater companies around the country, the Public Theater, Baltimore Center Stage, Long Wharf Theater in Connecticut, St. Louis Rep, uh, all launched this um, new website called Play at Home. You can go to playathome.org. They have micro-commissioned small plays, less than 10 minutes that can be done by one person, by anybody in your household, you download the play for free and take a little storytelling, a little theater into your home. So Play at Home is a really, really fantastic effort. A lot of good souls um, are a part of it. And uh, it's just a really great economic engine for our writers and a, yeah. a moment of joy for the rest of us. So that is well shut up. And I'll also say if you're into radio plays, you want theater and storytelling, but you can't gather, um, there's a place for that. It's called The Parsnip Ship. Uh, the Parsnip Ship is a really fantastic new play, new music company based in Brooklyn uh, that for five years has been led by a woman of color and has been curating really amazing playwrights, really groundbreaking musicians. They have interviews, stories, uh, music. Uh, it's recorded live as a podcast and then um, put out into the world after. And so, uh, you know, you can join them for their live recordings every month. Obviously, they're not having them now. Or you have five years of that catalog with some of the best up-and-coming playwrights that are there. So, you know, I think that in this moment, as we're looking for ways to get engaged, art and storytelling is all around us, and it's taking really unique shape. And yeah. so uh, continue to explore, and there's a lot out there. I'm excited. Uh, everyone who is watching now, uh, don't forget to tune in tomorrow. We'll be talking to Liz Winstead, the co-creator of The Daily Show, but also the co-creator of Abortion Access Front uh, about her work as a comedian, as a writer, as a producer, but also some of the serious stuff that's going on right now um, with women's access around the country. And so stay tuned tomorrow. That'll be at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific. And um, thanks for watching. Ciao. Creative Quarantine is hosted by Angelique Rocher. It's produced by Angelique Rocher, Sarah Storm, and Matt Storm. Our logo is designed by Aaron Leffler. New streaming episodes are available Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern and Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on AngeliqueRocher.com forward slash Creative Quarantine. Podcasts are made available the morning after each live streamed episode wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and visit us on Instagram at creative.quarantine and Twitter at creativequeteen. Please send this to a friend who needs a little artistic company and stay at home if you possibly can. We'll see you soon. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.